Well, about to put on pretty Guardian Sailor Moon. It's Sailor Moon, how bad can it be? 49 episodes and a few specials later. Well, that sure was a show. Yeah. I'm Kunzite's repurposed period samurai wig, Sid. And I'm a magical plush cat burning up on atmospheric re-entry, Ashley. And this is Ranger's Plane, where Sid, enthusiastic lifelong Power Rangers fan, takes Ashley, reluctant new fan, through the world of Power Rangers and Power Rangers accessories. This month, we're taking a break from Power Rangers. Instead, we're having a look at Toei's attempt at a live-action Sailor Moon, Pretty Guardian Sailor Moon. What's Pretty Guardian Sailor Moon about, you ask? Usagi Tsukino is a normal Japanese middle schooler who loves her friends and her favorite idol, Minako Aino. That is until one day a plush cat falls on her face while she's walking to school. This plush cat turns out to be a magical guy named Luna who gives her the abilities to transform into the warrior of love and justice, Sailor Moon! With the help of her new friends and powers, Usagi sets out to find the Silver Illusion Crystal and Princess Serenity. I, I mean, it's Sailor Moon, y'all. Do I need to describe that the plot much? You probably know this. Fighting evil by moonlight. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, as we kind of noted here in our five-minute pitch is that, yeah, it's it's pretty much Sailor Moon. There are some plot differences, but, like, it's not that different from, like, the first arc of the anime and the first arc of the yeah. manga. <laughs> just just real quick, because I did bring up the Deke dub. Uh, if we use Sailor Scout, forgive us, we're that old. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> like our first exposure to Sailor Moon was in the '90s, whenever it was air, whenever it would air on like Toonami or Cartoon Network. I think occasionally the USA Network it would air there too. I actually was one of the people who watched it on the USA Network. Yeah, I mean, I think I first saw it on Cartoon Network. I think, yeah. but like, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we saw it in the '90s when it was airing on television, and like had that god-awful deke dub <laughs> so like yeah if we go back to scouts or sometimes slip into calling them by their like localization names yeah that's the reason that's the reason but specifically scout that is that is the true generational divide of weebs do you say sailor scouts or sailor senshi yeah <laughs> it's like i know i know i know the technically correct term is senshi but i will still slip up and say scouts yeah just because it's it was like beaten into my brain yep but yeah it's it's pretty much sailor moon it's not beep for beep but it's just it's it, the differences between the plots are just negligible it's mostly characterization that feels different yeah I mean, obviously, there's some stuff that happens that happens in neither, and we'll get into that. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of that just comes from kind of doing a tokusatsu version of Sailor Moon versus, like, you know, an anime or a manga in this yeah. case. And, like, you know a little bit more about that one, particularly, Sid. <laughs> yeah, uh, so one of the things I found interesting 
about this was the head writer of this series was uh, Kobayashi, who a lot of Sentai and Rider fans might recognize her work from such things as Ginga Man, Time Ranger, Tokyuger, Go Busters, Shinkanger, and then of course Common Writer Ayuki, Deno, and Oz are the mm-hmm. main common writers she was a writer on. And what's very interesting to me was she just got off right watching Ryuki that I'm currently watching with Kurt because he loves me and knows I love Ryuki. <laughs> and uh, Kobayashi's known for a lot of uh, drama, I would say drama-driven works. And uh, this definitely felt like she was possibly still in the headspace of Ryuki for some of it. Uh for those who don't know, Ryuki kind of has a reputation of being a little dark. By dark, I mean Jesus fucking Christ sometimes with it. <laughs> and it's just, it's just like, this is a kid's show aimed at little girls. And this is, this is just like, damn, okay. Yeah, there's, there's definitely some things I was just like, all right, choices are being made here. Yeah, just <laughs> definitely dramatic choices. I definitely, it feels like, sometimes it feels like the the kind of common writer of the time period. Because the common mm-hmm. writer of the time period, it's like, it's aimed at, like, young boys, don't get me wrong. But they were definitely doing these very serious drama pieces for whatever. I think because Kuga was such a hit and it was, you know, written to be a serious drama piece that, you know, with, with Agito and Ryuki and if, up until I think Kibiki, they were just really pushing on these drama pieces. Mm-hmm. So it feels like they're trying to push this, like you know, you, you definitely feel this like drama-heavy piece being done, and I, I think it really was from the residuals of that being made. Right. I mean, I guess that makes sense if like you're following a particular trend within Tokusatsu at the time. Mm-hmm. I'd have to look at Sentai if it was following time uh, that. Which, it's it's about the Disney era. Okay, so, like, because it would have been early. Yeah, it would have been early Disney era. So maybe, like, after Time Force? It would probably be around, let's see, Ryuki was around the same time as, Aber- I think, Ranger and SPD. Because normally Sentai has always, when Kamen Rider got reintroduced, Sentai was almost always, like, ahead that makes right, sense yeah, I think Pretty Guardian Sailor Moon aired from October 2003 to September 2004, and Super Sentai, around that time, we would have had Abba Ranger, so from February 2003 to February 2004. Mm-hmm. So it would have been Abba Ranger and Decker Ranger, so yeah, you're right. Yeah. So those weren't as drama-heavy. Mm-hmm. I mean, they could be at times, but I don't... There's a lot of stuff you can gather that it still was very meant all ages, whereas Ryder was very, like, they just decided to be very drama heavy with Ryder. I'm not saying those, you know, the series at the time weren't drama heavy either, because I do remember with Hurricane got pretty drama heavy at times. But for the for the most part, it's just kind of like it's it has that whimsicalness of Sentai, but it definitely like. I feel like the way some of it was writing, it definitely felt like someone did just get off writing Common Writer at the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, we talked a little bit about the plot and all that and kind of how it was structured. So I guess let's kind of get into our heroes so we can kind of talk about the nitty gritty of some of the plot changes and some of the character changes. So we'll start with our main character, obviously, who's Usagi Tsukino, a.k.a. Sailor Moon, who... 
as always, she is pure of heart and dumb of ass. She really, uh, they really, I feel in this, they definitely play up more of that 14-year-old girl aspect that's always, yeah. always been a part of Sailor Moon, uh, particularly when she, I think, like, I think one of the, like, last lines of the anime, she just introduces herself and she said, I just wanted to be a normal teenage girl. Yeah, I think they definitely lean into that a lot more here. I mean, especially because, like, the first arc was always kind of about, like, the balance of being a teenage girl along with, you know, finding out you're you're the savior of the universe. Yeah. And it wasn't until, like, we kind of get into, like, later, um, and not to say they dropped the school arc being a teenager arc entirely, but definitely as you get later into Sailor Moon and the stakes just keep getting raised. Yeah. That I think that was like that became more of the focus of, um, well, we have, you know, this is our mission. This is what we have to do. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I think they, yeah, they definitely seem like they played up like that she's kind of a ditzy, klutzy 14 year old girl than this a little bit more than they have in like yeah some of the previous adaptations yeah it's it's just, she just you know she wants to do karaoke every night and you know has an idol she's really into and has posters streamed everywhere kind of gay it's a woman just gonna put it out there because i know with uh that is mostly uh from what i understand a lot of people's sexual awakening comes from that you know time period Right. <laughs> normally who you like pop star wise really kind of leans into that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um, another thing kind of about Usagi in this one. Um, one of the things that we definitely noted that felt very different was that um, Princess Serenity and Usagi felt like separate people. Yeah, that was definitely like in every adaptation that i know of and even from the manga i read serenity and usagi are always the same person like this is just one of her you know this is just her latest incarnation da, da, da. like it may take a while for her to like have her memories restored of when she was like princess serenity yeah and like obviously when she becomes neo queen serenity like she's still usagi at heart but, like, yeah, this one was interesting in the terms of, like, when when Princess Serenity is awakened, mm -hmm. she's kind of just this very, very different, like, personality. And, like, it's sort of just that she's kind of riding shotgun in Usagi's body. Yeah, it's like, Usagi is full of love and hope, and I guess because Serenity, Serenity has just been, like, reincarnated so many times she's almost cold yeah that's the weird part it's like okay so like the whole plot in this if you're not aware of like sailor moon and like the the plot that kind of leads into like the first arc is that princess serenity of the moon and prince endymion of the earth they fall in love with each other in a forbidden romance and then when when it's found out there's a like a war between the moon and the earth and then eventually the dark i think it was like barrels from the dark kingdom if i remember right because basically i think there's the dark kingdom but then there's also the dark side of the moon and it's like okay <laughs> there's a lot there's a lot but eventually there's a war and both like the princess like princess serenity and prince endymion are killed along with all of the other sailor princesses i 
well, because they are princesses of their own planets, but they're also, like, members of her royal guard. Um, so they all die, and then one of the last acts of Queen Serenity is to basically, like, ha- make, ensure that they're going to be reincarnated on Earth, and basically make sure that, like, Luna and uh, Artemis will be around for when this happens. So it's kind of like that. It's like, basically, yeah, there's a whole thing that, like, this plot in Pretty Guardian Sailor Moon keeps coming back to is that, like, Mamoru and Usagi can't be together because if they're together, that means that, like, Prince Endymion and Princess Serenity are getting back together and the Earth is going to be destroyed. Yeah. So they play, they try to play the star-crossed lovers thing, which I don't know how effective it is. It was okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, it might just because I don't like Mamoru that much. Mamoru is um, kind of useless, and he was. We'll get to him, and I'll, I feel like this is his most useless. Uh, was this this season? But yeah, for this particular incarnation, I guess because this is like kind of a thing in some tokusatsu where like there's kind of a dark side of a particular character because this plot came up in Cutie Honey as well, in Cutie Honey the Live, where her like. Basically, she, like, through burning off of excess energy, she kind of awakens a dark honey that she's, like, completely disconnected from. I don't, I think it's just more a trope people like to play with every now and then. Fair enough. Kobayashi, I know, replace it in Go Buster, but I've rarely seen it. I guess this is my thing of, like, Tokusatsu is, is, as we kind of win a little shorthanded for, is, like, henshin heroes. Because it's it's all sorts of things. It's, you know, kaiju, all that. It's just more of what's called sci-fi over there more than anything. Right. But um, I think it's just more of, like, a thing writers like to tap in. Like, writers just like to tap into over there. Um, That's, you know, that's a a decent trope to get into. Because you can also see it in, like, shonen uh, manga and all that. Yeah. But basically, yeah, whenever, like, after she awakens, like, the powers of the silver crystal and, like, she, um, like, she awakens Princess Sailor Moon, which is just basically Princess Serenity with Sailor Moon powers, she's just very ultra dramatic and cold and it's it's just, it's kind of (laughs) weird. Yeah, I felt like what was trying to be presented is, like, Serenity has been through so much of it, she kind of forgot who she was. Right, and I, this in- incarnation with Usagi more or less helps reawaken who she was as a person. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what they were trying to go through with dramatic here is more or less like Serenity needs to refine her humanity. Yeah, I guess that. I, yeah, is she human? I can see that. <laughs> she a moomin? Her moomanity, <laughs> her moomanity, moomanity back. Uh, because uh, I I think that's what was tr- trying to be told there, and kind of effective, but also like not really. So I I I especially like love when the cheap tokusatsu like effects kind of play into like everything with Serenity. Oh like, yeah, like the crane. Oh, yeah, like, they just, like, it's in trying to imply that she's floating around playing the moon harp, which, like, she's not really playing anything. It's just, like, it's a toy that's supposed to represent one of her weapons that's supposed to kind of look like a harp, and she's strumming it, but there's no strings. And, like, they're just sitting, it's supposed to imply that she's floating, but they clearly just have her sitting on some sort of crane. (laughs) Like, that's covered in white fabric. Pretty Guardian Sailor Moon, directed by Roger Corman. 
<laughs> I feel like Roger Corman would respect yeah. some of the ingenuity of Tokusatsu filmmaking. <laughs> I feel I re- that's like the one thing. It's like somebody introduced this man to like everything that that is done in Tokusatsu. He'd yeah. love it. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, she's like, other than that, those aspects, like, Usagi's not that different from how she's usually portrayed. She's pretty much lovable Sailor Moon in this. Yeah, there's, loves her friends dearly to the point, it's just like, this is a little gay, which we love. Yeah, yeah. It's not bad, (laughs) she's just very bisexual. Yeah, that's like half the appeal of Sailor Moon, honestly, (laughs) is how gay it can get. Yeah. So yeah, she she loves her friends, she sees the best in her friends when when they first meet too, and that's why her friends just end up loving her. Yeah. Um, you know, she's like, oh, hey, you're cool, and I want to hang out. You know, and... Yeah, even though they're just like, what? what? You want to hang out with me? <laughs> and then I think, like, Ami thinks that, like, Isagi's using her at right. first, and it's like, oh, you're just really using me. Okay. But then still listens to the recording Usagi gives her, and it saves her life. Yeah, there's this whole... Yeah, there's a whole episode with Ami uh, where, like, she thinks that she has to like act exactly like how Usagi would want her to act. Oh, the other friendship friend. episode, yeah. Because basically, like, she starts trying to like listen to like this friendship tape about like, oh, this is how you be a good friend to people, and it's clearly not working for her. And like Usagi, when she finds out, is like, hey, that's not cool. Like, I like you for you, Ami. Yeah, and so, like, it kind of gives Ami permission to kind of keep being herself, because she knows Usagi is going to keep being her friend. Yeah. It's actually actually the point, like, Ami collapses from exhaustion. Yeah. (laughs) Which I'm like, okay, kind of an autistic mood. (laughs) Yeah. How to to be friends with people, you know. Yeah, it's um, mystery. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I mean, we talked a little bit about Ami, so let's move on to Ami, who's our next Sailor Senshi Sailor Scout. Much like Usagi Tsukino means Rabbit of the Moon, uh, Mm -hmm. Ami's last, uh, Ami Mizuno has uh, Mizu in the name, which is water. Yeah. It's like, I I can't believe it took you that long to catch on to that. I I just realized, like, (laughs) All of the names. I knew Su- uh, uh, Tsukino no, uh, Asagi was, oh, Rabbit of the Moon. But I didn't right. realize, like, everybody's else name had, like, a p- like, pun based on their powers. So, yeah, because Nako Tekuchi is not subtle. No, um, like, it's like, oh, that's why it's Rei Hino, you know, or Hino okay. you know. But anyway. Yeah, like, oh, that's a sidebar here. Um, so, along with things Sid did not get. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's great. So the other day we were talking about when we were writing this episode, we were talking about the Sailor Moon local localization names for for that terrible Deke dub that we mentioned. Yes. And Sid complimented the fact that like Serena is actually a pretty good localization of Usagi, Usagi Tsukino. Yeah. Cause it's like it still means of the moon. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's it's one of those, it's like you can't really translate a name Rabbit of the Moon, but you can use, you know, something that means of the moon. And also, you know, it's very close to Serenity. Yeah. So it's like, okay, and, that was that was good. Yeah. And then so I point out as we're having this conversation, I point out, 
Yeah, no, that is a good one. Um, unfortunately, that means a lot of people did not catch on to the fact why they named Chibi Serene. And I had to, like, say it out loud next to Serena and Serenity. And I'm like, oh! Yeah, literally, I just hear on the Discord call, oh! <laughs> yeah! <laughs> um, but considering the fact that one of my Twitter followers didn't get that either until I said it, like... Maybe this is a like today I learned from somebody else. Yeah, it's it's very it's I think as you put it, um, it's it's kind of one of those things that it, it it only seems obvious when you sound it out, but not when you like read it on paper or something. Right. And of course, I guess some of the delivery in the fucking deke dub didn't really help either. <laughs> I can't believe this is tuxedo mask. Yeah, oh my god, I can't believe it. Go bleach your roots, creep. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so moving on to back to Ami. Um, so Ami as a character has always been kind of a little, like, quiet and reserved and nerdy. Especially because, like, she doesn't really know how to be a person outside of, like, academics for, like, the first little bit that we get to know her. Yeah. But, like, especially her quiet and reservedness, like, felt, like, a little bit more pronounced in this particular, like, adaptation. Like I said, like I mentioned earlier, like, she literally passed out from having to try to be an extroverted, like, neurotypical. Which, <laughs> <laughs> again, mood. Um, but, yeah, so I just, like, yeah, it just definitely felt, like, she was a little bit more reserved and, like, kind of disjointed from the group for at least the first half of the series yeah because there would be episodes where she didn't show up at all because she was at cram school or like you know she's always eat she always eats lunch on the roof yeah instead of like with the rest of her classmates which i'm like okay like yeah ami is a little shy a little bit more reserved like a little bit more down to earth compared to like usagi but, like, it definitely felt like, especially for the first half of the series, was very disjointed to kind of not have her be involved as much with the rest of the group. Mm-hmm. And, like, they do, they kind of bring that up in, like, one of the episodes, like, in the middle of the season where she was said she felt lonely because they were kind of becoming disjointed and weren't meeting at the karaoke place as much. Yeah. But even still, it's like, I don't know if that's a them thing or, like, a series thing. <laughs> kind of uh set up some of the uh juxtaposition in the uh dark mercury arc though where she where dark when she at her as dark mercury she befriends everybody she's the opposite and so yeah then, then like usagi eats on the roof alone yeah which I, I did find a pretty interesting addition to that particular arc um okay so i guess because we're kind of transitioning into that particular uh discussion now so uh one thing that the mo- that this did very differently from any other adaptation of sailor moon which there's a couple of things but this was kind of one of the first big changes that they did was that there is a i want to say it's like a five episode arc yeah. or so like it, it doesn't last very long but there's an arc in there where uh, Kunzite brainwashes um, Ami and turns her into Dark Mercury. Uh, so basically she has dark powers and it's up to Usagi to try to figure out how to get her to turn back into her normal self. Yeah. The, um, the outfit's great, by the way. 
We kept making jokes about how she looked like the like the OC of like a 13-year-old girl who listened to AFI sing The Sorrow <laughs> <laughs> for yeah. the first time once and was like, I'm dark and emo now. And we just kept like making like signatures and stuff on her Twitter. Yeah, so like we did uh Mizara Contere and uh Girls Not Gray. Yeah. <laughs> I, like we would have, we could have kept that going for the entire series if it was longer than like five or six episodes. I think you eventually tapped into uh, my chemical romance, though. Oh yeah, like well, because eventually, like, because when she's dark, Ami, her fashion also changes. Yeah. So like, there's this one episode where she shows up and she's wearing like this black button-down shirt, oversized like black and white print tie. And, like, this black and white striped, like, pleated miniskirt. Like, she looks like she has just rolled out of a Hot Topic circa 2004. And I was just like, she has listened to, I brought you my bullets, I bring you my love. You brought me your The first My Chemical Romance album. (laughs) (laughs) I can never get the title straight. But, you know pre um three cheers for sweet revenge yeah so she's listening to, uh, to i brought you my bullets you brought me your love she listened to that up. album once and she's like i'm emo now <laughs> <laughs> i also cannot confirm or deny that that really was something we uh we all wore back in the day but i can confirm yes <laughs> uh, that's what i wanted to be wearing no i did wear something like that to like my sophomore homecoming and somebody on a green day message board said i was ugly <laughs> Oh, well, that person sucks. Yeah. Isn't that the message where we met on? No, that was another one. Oh, okay. Because I'm pretty sure we would have fought him. Uh, oh, I know you would have. <laughs> I brought, I bought you my bullets. You brought me your love. That's it. <laughs> so. But yeah, like, it just was, that entire arc just felt like very <laughs> early 2000s emo. Yes. And like. It literally even ends where, like, she thinks that she's a- she's killed Usagi, and that's what kind of breaks her from the spell. <laughs> yeah. It's like, no, I killed my best friend. I went too emo. <laughs> I mean, obviously, it's Usagi. She got better. <laughs> I mean, that's part of Sailor Moon is that, like, you'll die. You'll, you'll, you'll die. You'll live. You'll die again. Yeah, pretty much. You die, like, ten times. It's fine. <laughs> um... God, I was flooded back with a memory of how I wrote a series. I guess I will eventually maybe never talk about it, but essentially it was a fan fiction. And it's like, oh, yeah, I did have reincarnation in that a lot <laughs> because of this show. Anyway, we don't have time to pack on that. But uh, Ashley, you mentioned you liked a lot of her character growth at the end. I want you to. Yeah. yeah. So kind of the post um, Dark Mercury arc is that. You kind of see Ami, like, throughout the series, she kind of grows more confident. Like, there's a whole thing where she says that she only wears glasses because she's not feeling confident in herself. So she starts seeing her wear the glasses, like, less and less because she doesn't actually need them. And then, like, there's this one bit at the very end. So basically, Usagi has gone full, like, Princess Serenity after... um the apparent death of endymion Mm -hmm. and so she's like i'm going to destroy the earth i'm going to destroy the earth and basically ami like when the other like senshi are just like oh well what are we gonna do like it's our friend ami is the first one to stand up and be like 
I made a promise to Usagi that I would not like that we would not let the world die. We would not let the world be destroyed. And if that if I have to stop Usagi in order to do that, I will. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just a real show of her confidence and like confidence in herself to be like, this is going to be a hard decision. But if I need to stop my friend, I'm going to do it. And like, she's the first one to stand up and do that. Yeah. <laughs> like, especially when she's in the same group as like headstrong prickly ray or like super strong like uh makoto like she's willing to stand up and just be like no like we made this promise like i'm gonna see it through the end yeah one of the other things we wanted to notate too is that she plays more of a significant role you've seen her mom in sailor moon wise because it's kind of interesting they do actually have like an episode arc that actually shows their parents which is just super rare in the show in the show and manga yeah because like you do know that in the manga you meet like you meet ami's mom once mm-hmm. and basically everybody's like oh my god ami your mom is hot i mean <laughs> not with those exact words but they are just re- kind of remarking on how like beautiful that yeah. her mom is to be and... sure she is beautiful yes um we'll we'll link to a picture of her in the show notes because like she's she's a vibe (laughs) Um, but yeah so but you never meet her mom in the anime and basically the whole implication of why you never see ami's mom is because she works as a like a doctor at at a hospital and she's always very busy so she usually is working like late shifts and we so she's working on like an opposite schedule of ami yeah um and so like i i did like the fact that there is a whole kind of episode arc about like ami's mom kind of becoming concerned about like what's going on with her daughter and like kind of like not threatens like she's not being there like well you're you're failing at school so i'm gonna take you out of that school she's just like you know i'm i'm really worried about you so maybe like we should change schools for you so you can focus back on what you need to do and like ami is kind of torn because like she like her i guess i think her parents are divorced i'm not 100 percent certain on that Mm, okay but like you know her mom is basically kind of all she has and she really wants to do right by her mom and really wants to like follow through with becoming a doctor like her mom but like she also knows she has this mission and she wants to like be friend like and she wants to be near her friends and so like she has this whole like she's this kind of crisis of conscience because like she needs to follow her own heart but she's worried about letting her mom down and then eventually um i think it's was it makoto that says like you should have a heart to heart with her I can't remember. (laughs) Yeah, I can't remember who, but basically, like, her, you know, eventually they're like, you really should talk to your mom. Like, you really need to talk to your mom and, like, tell her you want to stay in in school and, like, that you want to be near your friends. And she does. Mm -hmm. And to her mom's credit, her mom is just like, I just want you to be happy. Yeah. (laughs) So I, I, I really did like kind of that arc. I think it's, like, one of those things that, like, they did differently enough from like the rest of the series that i think it worked really well in its favor yeah and like they also do similar for ray but like on a whole different direction yeah (laughs) but yeah i I just i so i just liked how they used like the whole bit about ami's like parents and her mom to like to, to have some really good character growth within the series yeah so we've already mentioned ray so i guess we can move on to ray hino who is our sailor mars 
She is definitely the Sundere friend in this series. <laughs> yeah, she's she starts out like super prickly and just like, okay, well, I guess I'm joining you guys, but I also I don't like karaoke. I don't like hanging out with you. Yeah, and, but eventually she kind of you could tell she actually does like hanging out with them, and yeah. even if she doesn't, she says she doesn't like karaoke. <laughs> She's she still, sings sometimes. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. Um, I feel like Makoto definitely kind of helps bring her out of her shell more. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, this version of Rey seems very different. Not very different, but definitely different from, like, her other incarnations. I mean, because Rey's always been kind of prickly. Yeah. And, like... A little weird. A little weird. Uh, definitely kind of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, but she's... I, I I mentioned she's more shy than normal. She's definitely more reserved because the thing with Ray is, you know, like fire, she often has a very fiery personality. Yeah. And so, like, there's a little bit of that fire here, but it's definitely not as a fiery personality as it is in, like, the anime or something like that. Yeah. It's, it's definitely much more reserved and, like, I'm not letting anyone in. Um, yeah. And I think part of that does come from... So, kind of another thing that they use here to be like, okay, let's pull in some of their family stuff for extra drama. Because I think, I want to say in, like, the anime and the manga, I think her parents had died. Something like that, yeah. But, like, yeah, Ray's parents never really showed up in the anime and the manga, and she was raised by her grandfather at the temple. But, like, in this one, it's that her mom died when she was really young, and her dad is basically just, like... A, a super busy politician who is just like oh well i really don't have time for any of this so i'm looking it up on the sailor moon wiki is that yeah ray was an only child her um her dad was a politician her mom died her dad basically just is not meeting her <laughs> um yes yeah, she moves into the shrine with her grandfather and is basically raised by him. Her grandfather does not show up in this. <laughs> no, he's They're actually, you know, silently absent. Yeah, I mean, was he kind of a dirty old man, if I remember right? Um, I think he was just kind of a weird old man. I don't think like yeah. full on dirty, but he's definitely like, oh, we got to get young girls here. Yeah, he definitely was. Maybe, I, so I could see why they maybe just were just like, no, we'll just leave him out. <laughs> it's like leaving out all um all the dirt, uh, Hanbei from fucking <laughs> Cutie Honey. Like, just leave him out. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> but yeah, so you never, I don't think you ever really see her dad in the manga or the anime from what I remember, even though he like, he's still kind of a presence who will send her like, gifts for her birthday but like in this one there's like a couple of episodes where like him and ray have like these blowout confrontations about the fact that like he basically abandoned her and her mother while mm -hmm. her mother was dying oof yeah it also leads to a very gay episode involving makoto <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, that's definitely an episode where she does kind of come out of her shell a lot. And I think she gets to know Makoto. And at that point, they weren't getting along at all. And I think it's just a big character development episode for them. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think it's like the implication is that a lot of her trauma is why she takes forever to warm up to people. But like by the end, obviously, like 
she's like these are my friends i care about them a lot um i'll fight to protect them and like uh as we noted here she's definitely a funky lesbian (laughs) oh yeah like she this is the gayest i've ever seen ray we'll get into that more uh, yeah but because there's there's definitely some things that happen with particularly ray and minako that Mm -hmm. makes me just go "Mm, wow this is uh this is not heterosexual at all like they've ever been heterosexual but like (laughs) because ray just does not like men in general (laughs) uh but yeah, yeah it's just like Mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So let's move on to Makoto Kino, aka Sailor Jupiter. Um, yeah, this, as you noted, she is weirdly the most out of character out of all of them. Yeah. So the whole thing with Makoto is she's the tough girl that is secretly feminine. And that's how she's always been is just, you know, when you first meet her and everything, she beats up a bunch of dudes. And yeah. she's really tall, you know, there's kind of this whole thing of she likes sports and all that. But then she's like, she's super into cooking. She really likes to, you know, jewelry and stuff. And she really, you know, she really is really girly. And that's how she, you know, in all things kind of connects with Usagi. Particularly is she's really good at cooking. Yeah. And like, that's a whole thing for her is like that, that like so much of that, like, outer shell stuff is like what informs her like character when you first meet her is that she does beat up those boys that she no like she got expelled from her last school for fighting she wears her old uniform at this school because like the new like juban middle school doesn't have a uniform that will fit her yeah because <laughs> she's too tall she's too tall she's like your height i think yeah so she's supposed to be like five six five seven yeah. which like I, I know it doesn't sound tall to us, but like <laughs> I mean that's still tall for a girl over here, so Yeah. Um Cause that that's short then, king like, territory for dudes. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so for Usagi, like once you know, as she gets to know Makoto more and she sees her that like, oh no, she actually is very soft and feminine and like wants to, you know, likes to cook wants to get married one day has all these like feminine interests that kind of surprise people but like obviously like she is a complete like she's a complete whole person with these kind of two conflicting sides yeah which you know speaking of anime food looking so good she's the reason why i want to learn how to make bento boxes oh yeah i can see that yeah um but yeah, this particular adaptation, I think, focused more on the feminine aspects of her personality versus, like, the tough girl aspects of her personality. Which is interesting, because it starts out showing the tough girl stuff, and you even have it, the, like, the opening, look, she's in the sport, she's a tough girl, and it's just kind of like, you don't do really much with it. They do a lot with, you know, her feeling abandoned by friends and stuff. Yeah, because, like, it is canonical that the reason that you never see uh, Makoto's parents is because her parents fucking died. Yeah. <laughs> um, so she lives alone, which there's a joke in, like, what the, the Act Zero episode where somebody's like, I'm not going to rent a uh, apartment to, like, a middle schooler. Please leave. Yeah. It's just so it's like, how does she manage to rent an apartment by herself? 
Like it's uh, I know there's like a thing where like some people because of where they are going to school, their parents help them rent an apartment. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's that a, makes sense. There, there, it got explained I think in a book about like how about culture in Japan, how different it is, and this is why it is. And I, I think that might be a thing some people just do. Is just because they're going to school in a different area and they get accepted. Their parents help them with an apartment. Right. But yeah, so as it kind of just focuses more on her feminine aspects than the tough girl aspects, she kind of just ends up becoming more of a mother to the rest of the group. Yeah, it's, you know. I I did like they did go into those feelings of abandonment and how she feels like, well, my past life, I was alone, so therefore I need to be alone now. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like you focused a little, you went a little bit too much on it, and now she's just kind of the mom of the group without anything that made her very interesting as a character, I felt. Yeah, because, like, I don't know, sometimes I've joked that, like, Makoto is my gender. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Because it's just like, yeah, I, I I definitely relate to the, you know, tough out, you know, tough exterior, but like, really just is like kind of soft inside and wants to be recognized as like a soft girl inside. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and also she's normally friends with Ami, like that's just something I also was very apt. It's like normally her and Ami are just like the closest. Yeah, like, like they're kind of an inseparable duo. <laughs> and like here it's just kind of like, uh. Which is funny, because, like, Ami is also one of your favorite senshi. Yeah, it's like, for me, yeah, because I think, you know, we talk about this, is that, like, Ami is, like, one of my favorite senshi. Makoto is one of your your favorite ones. Yes. Uh, <laughs> like, this has been true since, like, we were teenagers. Yeah, it's like, Makoto, this is before I knew about Haruka, because as soon as I found out about Haruka, guess who I was interested in? And guess who I was interested in when I found out about the Sailor Starlights? <laughs> Whenever Sid talks about the Sailor Starlights, it's just there's usually just either me or Kurt just going, uh-huh. Yeah, it's that that <laughs> meme you sent me of uh you know, uh of the good place where it was like uh it's cheaty and the, it's labeled like me as an adult coming out as trans to my childhood. Okay, we got the four clues you left and it's like me and my childhood is uh ted danson is like oh that's great i left you a thousand actually (laughs) and uh starlights is one of those like thousand clues (laughs) that was also like oh yes this is one of those clues but also this like reads coming back i'm like uh yeah you were really into that whole gender swap thing weren't you (laughs) yeah oh yeah no it, it's it's funny listening to sid talk about ranma or the sailor starlights or like haruka or even makoto because i'm like yeah i want to be like tough and masculine but also like secretly feminine yeah no <laughs> i like- can definitely see that from you know i'm talking from my own perspective but i can see that from your perspective too in terms of yeah. like makoto yeah it's just like hmm <laughs> So I, I guess that's like the the queer girl like trans trans guy like handshake meme there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it really it's is. Like right, in, right in to let us know like how you perceived Makoto with your own gender and sexuality. <laughs> <laughs> there is always one I think in uh, in Sailor Moon. You know that that's that's always like yes. Um, <laughs> 
But uh, going back to topic at hand, because Makoto, I loved Makoto so much as a kid. And mm-hmm. like, even now, I love her. Um, she just feels like Makoto in name only. Yeah, like, I don't think the, the character in this one is necessarily a bad character. But yeah, she doesn't feel like Makoto at all, which yeah. is just so weird. And the changes weren't like enough there wasn't enough in her background to have changed how she acted like another person we're about to talk about so i'm just kind of like that was just the series is not focusing on certain aspects right i feel because they they did like play up the tough girl thing like i said when you first meet her and in the opening but then it just gets kind of dropped yeah because like the first episode we meet her there's a whole thing where there's this hot basketball guy that um steals people's energy or something because he's yeah like all the girls are obsessed with it but he's like an emissary of barrel that's like well emissary he's a monster so he's like taking up people's energy and makoto like obviously i think she like challenges him in basketball but then like she gets like a let she gets a letter quote quote from him saying like oh yeah i'm secretly in love with you come meet me by this fountain and she comes and like brings like this like bag of cookies that she made but she ends up waiting all day because obviously he's it's a fucking joke yeah it's to embarrass her and it's like man so like they focus so hard on that part of her character from that episode going forward it's like man this is just this feels weird yeah then we get compulsive heterosexuality from it too oh god i Mm, that is my least favorite aspect of this particular (laughs) series is like Okay, so Makoto obviously has gone through a lot, and you're trying to, like, emphasize her healing from stuff, so you pair her up with the fucking dork who works at the counter at the karaoke place? The the fucking guy's super interested in turtles, which is nothing wrong with that, but it's like, the interaction, like, between them is just customer and guy who works there and how he falls in love with her is literally like, oh, I made this scarf and I have no one else to give it to you. Do you want it? Yeah, so he's just like, oh my god, she's clearly in, like, she's so cool, I'm gonna ask her out on a date, and she's just like, oh no, I'm not, I'm not interested in you, and like, she turns him down, but they keep coming back to this, it's just like, oh, but you really like him, and so that means that you shouldn't be alone anymore, it's like, what, stop! Yeah, and they get married, and then that's like, then it's like, he asked her to marry her in the special, and what, it's like, set, what was the Crazy Ex-Girlfriend song? You mentioned, um, like, Settle For Me or something? Oh, Settle For Me. <laughs> settle For Me. Darling, just settle for me. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you, you thought about that. Yeah. Just God. <laughs> that entire thing is just like, it basically, Motoki just does feel like, telling ray just not right not telling ray telling makoto please just settle for me <laughs> please just settle for me so yeah that's that's kind of uh but uh i want you know i i felt this was an interesting turn just due to you know how they did change some of her background and that is uh minako ano ano i i know i know not ano i know hideki ano <laughs> Yeah, Hideki Yano's a character in this. Surprise. <laughs> Surprise. He's there. He's riding Gunbuster or something. Fun fact is that Kitty Honey the Live came out during, like, while this was airing. So, <laughs> not Kitty Honey the Live, uh, his Kitty Honey movie. Kitty okay. Honey the Live wouldn't come for another few years. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Sailor Venus, um, and she is a tortured pop star. 
dying from anime girl disease because we don't know what she's dying of. I will say this is a common Kobayashi trope. I think it starts in like Time Ranger and just she never has not had anyone I've noticed not dying of some anime girl disease. Uh, Except for Shin (laughs) Kanger. So Kurt was the one who made the anime girl disease joke while while you guys were watching Ryuki, right? Yeah, because that's what Kidoka is dying of anime girl disease. I will say, to be fair to uh, to to uh, Go Busters, we actually do know what the Gold Ranger is dying of. So <laughs> <laughs> he's not actually dying of anime girl disease. Which, if you don't know, it's normally just some like th- th- they're just going to the doctor and they have six months to live. No, we don't know what it is. Yeah, because it's like with Minako, yeah, yeah, you don't know if it's brain cancer. I mean, she has some sort of like vague headache, like yeah. that keeps reoccurring, that like keeps her up. Like basically, like it, like it's like makes things really hard for her. Like she literally passes out on stage while performing one night. Yeah, I think, <laughs> but like similar to Kinoka, actually, <laughs> just gets yeah, and she has and six faints. months to live, and they don't specify what exactly it is that she's dying of. <laughs> Uh, she's just dying. So, and she's a tortured pop star. Of course, she's like the red herring princess. I think that's uh, that's come out before where they're like, well, this obviously must be, you know, Serenity. But I think she actually knows she's a red herring, weirdly enough. Yeah, because I think she's, like, she, for the first, like, half of the series before they realize that, like, Usagi is Princess Serenity, she's basically playing up the red herring to be, like protect usagi i guess yeah because i she's the only one that has has all of her memories awakened from the past so she just kind of is like i'm the you know oh yeah i'm totally the princess with my cheap crown yeah and like that's you know kid that has occurred in other adaptations where like you know they think that minako is the princess and she tries to be like she pretends to be the princess for like a short bit but then they realize it's usagi and she's just like yeah that's not me <laughs> yeah um because and uh, because of i think the memory awakened but also like anime girl disease dying and she's lives a pop car- off career she's the kind of the second most hot character because she just is very standoffish and she doesn't want to get close probably because she's dying and she only has six months to live so she's like what's the point yeah, which is so weird because Minako in a lot of other versions of Sailor Moon has like a very similar personality to Usagi. Yeah. To the point that it seems like they just share a brain cell. Yeah. And this, uh, it's very like when she does hang out with Usagi, it's very clear that she kind of used to have that personality too. <laughs> yeah. And she kind of, I, I kind of like that particular aspect of just like, Oh, I kind of like this person because she reminds me of who I used to be. And, like, yeah. I can maybe gives me hope for being that kind of person again. Yeah. But, like, Minako just becomes so obsessed by her mission. And dying. And dying that, like, she kind of, like, forgets how to be herself. <laughs> yeah. And, like, believe it or not, Ray's the only one that kind of helps her out of that. We'll talk about that much later. But also, uh... She's the only one that kind of knows her identity and everything until, you know, much later when everyone else finds out. I think Usagi finds out last through, why does Sailor Venus have uh, Minako tickets? Yeah, and like, it still takes her like 30 seconds to fully get it. Yeah, with the prompting (laughs) of Mamoru. He's just like, 
huh, you hadn't figured it out yet? And she's like, what? Oh! Like, the wheel's <laughs> turning in her head. Like, you could, like, you could, that entire scene, you could just hear the hamster wheel in her head, <laughs> like, turning as she's trying to get it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh. And another thing about her personality, too, is she calls the other sentry by their planet names. Yeah, that's a whole thing, is that, like, I guess because she doesn't want to get close to them, so she kind of depersonalizes them. I don't think she really even calls them by their names until, like, the last full episode you see her in. Yeah. And even even after, like, I think the bonding episode, too, because there's literally an episode where they they go on a TV show, variety show, and they kind of learn the bond because of that. Right. And she realizes, like, oh, they're my friends, and then she... she eventually just starts hanging out for a little bit and uh, goes in for the surgery of her anime girl disease and dies yeah like that's a thing she actually fucking dies because the surgery is like you know it's not it's not go ahead it's not even a guarantee she might die during surgery but she's like i'm gonna risk it anyway so i can be with you guys and dies but she doesn't even die during surgery. Like, she goes in for a oh, checkup. Oh, yeah, that's right. She just goes in for before. the checkup. The pre-op. <laughs> and then she's... <laughs> and she dies. It's like, what the happened during pre... Okay, I'm just coming from this perspective of somebody who had surgery recently. Um, I was just like, what happened during pre-testing? <laughs> I think she just... I think she waited too long. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's the implication there. But usually during pre-testing, they just fucking take your blood and a urine sample. <laughs> She just collapsed even before retest. Like, oh, well, you waited too long. Yep, now you're fucking dead. <laughs> now you're fucking dead. They can't even get a blood sample out of you. <laughs> uh, she gets but, better, though. <laughs> yeah, because, like, okay, so basically they do what Sailor Moon do. And, like, at the end of the series, yes, the, the Earth does get destroyed, but it's resurrected by Princess Serenity and uh, Prince Endymion. Um, and so when they resurrect the Earth, they also resurrect Minako. Yeah. And I don't think she's dying of anime girl disease anymore. She, she was cured by the power of yeah. friendship. And this gun, <laughs> and this gun Usagi has. Oh, God, I wish this series had Usagi with gun. It would have, like, even if it was bad, it would be my number one adaptation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, <sighs> But uh, yeah, no, that was that was a very shocking thing. Um, so uh, we'll move on to our our random sixth ranger. Oh my god! Okay, <laughs> so Sailor Luna. <laughs> I can't even say that with a straight fucking face. Oh my god! Okay, so I will try my best to explain it. So like Luna for the first half of the series, she's she's Luna. She is the exhausted. Like, kitty cat with the energy of, like, a 60-year-old woman. <laughs> yeah. Who is helps out our heroes. And, like, I guess in this one, they didn't want to deal with actual, like, fucking cats. So they just got these plush cats. Yeah. <laughs> that were enchanted. Or, or, even, or even CGI cats. They're like, fuck that. No, here's the plush enchanted cat. Yeah, well, they had the cats were occasionally CGI, but I don't think they had the budget to do a full yeah. like CGI for the cat. Yeah, they're like, nah, we need to put that Aminako's like transformation scene. <laughs> so like, it's so it's very funny to see the cats, the plush cats move. Yeah, 
Because we can't tell if, like, some there's some uh, scenes where it's very clearly a hand puppet. Yeah. So there's probably just, just some poor production assistant just out of frame with the hand puppet. <laughs> yeah. Or it's like, and or then, it's like a plushie with strings, or it's all sorts of shit. Yeah, it's oh, that's the most entertaining part of the series. Honestly, it's just how they move around these plush cats. So. And then, but, ha- yeah, halfway through yeah. the series, doesn't, like, Artemis, like, give her powers or something? No, she gets, pa- basically, they explain it that, like, when the powers of the Silver, Silver Illusion, Silver Millennium, Silver Phantom, basically the Silver Crystal that lives inside of a Serenity, mm-hmm. when it's, like, when those powers are awakened, it, awakened, it, it awakens powers within Luna, <laughs> who can now transform into... A human child. I guess. I guess. And can also transform herself into a Sailor Senshi. And she's just a child. I, I I guess I thought it was like Artemis like accidentally amplified it or some shit is what they explained it. Uh I yeah, like I felt it was something with the Silver Guardian crystal. I, I, it's something I felt like it was something with the Silver Guardian crystal and an Artemis fucked it up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's how we got Sailor Luna. Uh, let me see here. Da, da, da. Yeah, they don't explain it on the Wikipedia. <laughs> Basically, yeah, she's her whole thing is yeah when she's a when she's in human form, she just acts like a fucking preteen girl. Yep, is that she loves makeup and like she calls herself the guardian of love and small things. She loves candy and toys. She also still has cat-like instincts when we first meet her, because, like, when she's trying to tell who she is to the other senshi, like, she'll just get distracted with cat stuff. Like, there's a ball, and I must play with it. Yeah. Of course, it takes them forever to realize. It's like, just a fucking cat. Like, did Luna turn into a human? (laughs) Obviously, this is not the first time in canon Luna has turned into a human, but, like... I just found the choice to be like, okay, we're going to make Luna our sixth ranger because we don't want to pull anything from the anime, like the later um, the later seasons of the anime. Which, okay, I can kind of get that instinct. Yeah. <laughs> but just the fact it's like, okay, but we're going to make her a child. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's like just a weird choice. It really was. And didn't really add much either because we were just like, this is fucking weird. Uh, yeah, because it's like her functionally, she's just kind of like Chibiusa, where like she doesn't have like particularly strong powers, but she can basically boost the powers of like Sailor Moon and the other Senshi. Yeah, and it's like okay, so what was the whole purpose here then? Besides, you needed a like it's a Tokusatsu, and you basically need a six ranger character. I think it was just more they were trying to find a replacement for Chibiusa. That's fair. I mean, though, I wish. I wish this had Chibiusa, because I would have just loved to have seen how they did the introduction of Chibiusa, where she literally pulls a gun out on Usagi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I would have much rather just had Chibiusa, but I guess they're like, we're not hiring a child for that. We're just going to hire a child part-time to play Luna. Yeah, which I... Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um. So... Guess we're now on the support characters. Uh, what there is, let's just Artemis is he's, he's still Artemis. He's uh, downtrodden upon and also stuck with the worst plush out of the two of them. 
Yeah, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just the, the fact that the fur was white and therefore, like, white reveals all sins. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, his plush just looks way worse than Luna's for some reason. Yeah, it's just it's like, damn. But also, yeah, because he's just very downtrodden compared to Luna. Like, I don't know why. And then Minako bullies him relentlessly. Like. <laughs> yeah, like. There's just... multiple episodes where she pulls some sort of prank on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Artemis is Artemis. Like, he doesn't get the special, like, turning into human powers or anything like that. He's just sort of... There and you know, put upon. Just... Yeah. <laughs> I will... Yeah, but yeah, I did scream when, like, they revealed him. It's like, oh my god, his plush is somehow way worse. <laughs> yeah, we're just like, it's just way worse. So I guess we're, we're moving on to the... Go on, girl, give us nothing. Mama Ruchiba. Oh, yes. Tuxedo the mask. Cr- Oh, the classic. Um, so the, the rewrite of that scene. It's like, my job here is done, but you didn't do anything. Whoosh. Whoosh. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, so Mamaru, like, yeah, yeah, I, I Mamaru. <laughs> yeah, until he gets his prince's powers, he's just kind of there. He just shows yeah. up. He's stealing jewels. He's trying to find the silver crystal so he can unlock his memories so he's just being a jewel thief yeah it's not that different from his like previous like story like because i mean his story is usually that he had you know as a child like his parents were in a car accident but he doesn't remember anything about his own past yeah so he's an orphan with amnesia (laughs) Ooh, exciting yeah um but it's like obviously with his tuxedo mask powers, which there's not really much power to go on there. I like, mean, he barely even has powers. He's just a guy that does parkour, and uh, the fact that he doesn't really have a transformation sequence, he just gets his suit like dry cleaned. Yeah, and then like they don't even do the rose throwing bit like in this one. <laughs> probably because it would have been hard. Yeah, I mean, obviously, and it would have looked probably looked very dumb. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously, like when he does get the powers of Prince and Damien, um, he he does become a little bit more useful, mm-hmm. but uh, not by much. Yeah, he, so he has a fiance named Tina, who I guess her dad they grew up together, and her dad like kind of raised him along with her. Which okay, so it's kind of weird that they're engaged. I kind of pointed out this is a little not. Like, he's obviously the orphan he find- that she finds, but it's a little similar to the Sailor Moon R movie. Right. Which was more gay when you look at it, because it was actually some random dude, alien dude he finds while he's in the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> and they both tried to take care of each other and have a friendship. Right. But yeah, so he's, but throughout all this, he's trying to find out who he is, but he's strangely drawn to Usagi, which, because we, we know she's the fucking moon princess. We know this. Yeah. <laughs> Other than that, he's, um, he's just Mamaru and he's boring. We just kept making Mamaru jokes. Yeah, he's just boring in this. And, like, the weirdest thing is that he just feels somehow older than the other Mamaru's. And it's kind of creepy. Yeah, it's like, this feels like an actual adult. Whereas, like, Mamaru is portrayed as, you know, he's sometimes an older teenager, but he's still in Usagi's age range. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's, you know, like a sophomore, you know, he's like two or three years older type situation Mm -hmm. and then in this it's just like he's definitely a college student 
<laughs> Why are you yeah. hanging out with a 15-year-old? Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, that's <laughs> fucking weird. So like a 16, 17-year-old hanging out with like a 14, 15-year-old. Oh, that's normal. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's 18 by the end of Sailor Stars, if I remember right. Oh, yeah. Like he's... He's so much, he's, you know, it's kind of weird how older he can appear in the anime, but it's just like, no, he's he's actually around Usagi's age. This one is just like, you feel like a fucking college student. You're with this child. Right. <laughs> and so is his friend who gets with, like, Makoto. So it's just like, this is doubly weird. Yeah. Like, ugh. I, just, I do not like it. I get this is for young girls, and that's. That's a thing when you're like that young is you think you can land anybody. You know, like, what is it? Yeah. Somebody once talked about that. Co- I forget what the co- like somebody actually named the confidence. But I just remember it's like, I wish I had the confidence I did at 12 when I would just thought I could run into go into a hot topic, run into Orlando Bloom, Orlando Bloom, and we'd instantly be married. Yeah, I mean, that's basically what the song Stacy's Mom is about. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you just have the confidence there. Like, yeah, I can totally get with Orlando Bloom. And so I kind of get that fantasy aspect, but it's just like, when you're an adult watching this, you're like, ugh. Yeah. So I guess the interesting thing about this particular adaptation is that, like, obviously, they, you know, other adaptations have had, like, Mamoru kind of go dark side when he's, like, um hypnotized by queen barrel i think it happens in like the dark moon arc again which also leads to some very weird moments Um, but this one like they the dark side thing is that he has queen metallia's energy like enter into him so he kind of becomes the final boss yeah because he wants to try to destroy with queen metallia basically yeah and he's like this is the only way we can destroy queen metallia and um yeah, Usagi has to stab him. It's great. It gets better, though. <laughs> yeah, like, as we previously mentioned. <laughs> uh, so that's it for Mamoru. Uh, so now we're on to villains. So the four generals. Um, we kind of wanted to loop them together. Uh, Jedi, Nephrite, Zoysite, and Kunzite. Uh, these are backstabby brainwashed bitches in this one. Uh, because... He- the four generals are kind of the equivalent of the Sailor Senshi for Endymion. Um, and they kind of get brainwashed by Beryl a lot of times and end up becoming her lackeys. Yeah. So, But yeah, so kind of our main characteristics of these is that Jadeite is the most simp of Beryl. Like, <laughs> yeah, he, he definitely wants mommy to step on him. Yeah, I mean, okay, I get it. <laughs> but, yeah, so, like, even at the very end, where, like, Beryl, so that, like, yeah, Beryl even admits she puts a spell over them, and, like, he's still alive towards the end of the series, and, like, she goes, okay, she basically lifts the spell over him, and it's just like, go, and she doesn't go anywhere, and he's like, well, I've decided you're my master now. <laughs> it's like, I want you to step on me. It's like, oh, fine. <laughs> um nephrite is kind of the secondary simp he he definitely wants queen barrel's approval but he he's kind of the fuck up and she actually like stabs him when it, to basically convince uh mamaru or really endymion to come join her it's like well i'll kill these people and kills him but he gets better but he's now human and uh with all of his memories and he gets picked up by makoti and it's it's kind of 
this fish out of water stuff they just really don't explore. Also, he has more chemistry with Makoti. I wish they got together. Yeah, it's like it's definitely one of those things that, like y'all didn't really go into this one that much. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Zoysite has, I think he died multiple times, like, Mamoru killed him, he gets better, but he's basically the piano man, he just plays the piano and has a really terrible silver wig. Yeah, and, like, he, like, he's the one I think he has the most memories of their past, yeah. so, like, he's trying his best to, like, awaken Mamoru. Yeah. And then we have Kunzite, which, very funny how Kunzite's introduced, he's in human form, and it's just mm-hmm. it's just some guy that Mamoru kind of like what was it? It's like Makoti lost his turtle, and it's some guy that found his turtle, and Mamoru's strangely drawn to him. And of course, Usagi's like, "Oh, cool! I want to find out more about you. You seem sweet." And they end up finding out he like lost his memory, but he has like these memories. And Usagi fi- tries to find stuff to jog his memories. And then while talking to Mamoru, Kunzite awakens, and oh wow, you're you're actually a general, and. More and more as time goes on, you just realize he's just in love with Mamoru. Yeah, I mean, you say that, well, you say that on a Zoysite, at least, as yeah. well, but, like, Kunzite especially is in love with Mamoru. Yeah. Um, and this is actually the kind of the more we see of these characters out of, like, any of the anime adaptations I've noticed and everything, uh, and their, inca- uh, and their connection with Endymion. I actually did, like, the series did play a lot with Endymion in his past. A little more, even mm-hmm. if, you know, he's boring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, no, they definitely get in more into that instead of just throwing it in at the end of the yeah. season. <laughs> like, this is actually um, a mis- mystery to unravel. Yeah. Is who are these people and what do they mean to Endymion? And then you kind of find out. Yeah. And um, even then, they're kind of not used much except for, like, you know, villains. Um, But... We like to also point out Kunzai's actor just chews that scenery up. Oh, 100%. Like, he is, like, he is overacting so much, but it's, like, an enjoyable overacting. Oh, yeah, it's so good. Yeah. He was stuck with one of the lousier wigs, though. Oh, God. Okay, yeah, we'll get into the wigs we'll, in we'll a bit, de- but, we'll get- uh, the the bad wig technology definitely shows with the four generals. <laughs> Uh, kind of a quick one to go into. I think she's this. She's just in this series. Uh, yeah, is uh, Mio Kuro- Kuroki. Yeah, and uh, at first we just are like, she's just a crazy bitch. Like, what's going on yeah. here? Because yeah, when you first meet her, she's just very unhinged, so you don't know what her whole deal is. And she's like a a, a rival pop star to Minako. And uh, school rival to Usagi, and it's kind of just real cryptly just how close she wants to be to, with Usagi, and you just find out like, no, she's just working for Queen Barrel. Yeah, they they didn't explain that too well in the beginning because I, I initially just sort of thought it's like, oh, she's some sort of like, is she like Barrel's like human projection or something like that? Oh because, yeah, that's like, what I thought too. It's like she obviously is Barrel's human projection, but then like, no, she is a separate person <laughs> that like. Gets murked, but then gets better later. Um, but she's like a separate person who works for Beryl, and they don't really explain that. Like, was she created by Beryl? Was she a person who was manipulated by Beryl? Like, is she, yeah. What what's the vibe here? Yeah. <laughs> um. So Mia's whole thing is that she's got like that this weird bully manipulation ability, which is just like. <sighs> I 
don't I don't know how else to describe it, but basically in the first couple of episodes you see Kuroki is that whenever she like she she'll set up one of the characters to like fail or something like that. And her way of doing this is that basically she'll accuse well, it looks like she'll like try to accuse them of something by crying a lot. And, like, basically then just being like, no, I'm okay. I'm, like, it's really fine. I promise. And, like, and it just makes everybody else matter at the other person. <laughs> yeah, it's just that manipulation tactic of so-and-so hit me. And, like, but you started it? Yeah, like, um, like, the, my, the main time she does this is with Usagi. Like, basically, it's the episode before, like, Usagi, her and Usagi are out, like, shopping or something like that and then a monster shows up and she's like basically usagi hides mio and instead i'll be right back and has to go transform into sailor moon fight the monster and i think mio gets like a like a small injury from this on her hand mm-hmm. and then basically the next day at school mio is just like usagi attacked me and it's like if she doesn't want me to be up i just want to be friends with usagi if she doesn't want me to be a pop star anymore because i'm arrivals with minako then i'll follow her wish and everybody at school is just like how dare you usagi it's just like that's not what happened at all that's yes that's not, but yeah because usagi can't really defend herself because then she'd give away the fact she's sailor moon yeah <laughs> It's just um yes. though I did love like occasionally the times when Minako would just be like fuck you bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Cuz like basically at the end of the second episode of with Mio is that like me uh she's like okay well I'm I know Minako so like I can get Minako to come here and like perform for the school and that'll you know that'll make it up for everybody in usagi and so they they're going through this entire process to like set up a performance for minako and um but it seems like minako's not going to show up and because uh and then basically she also doesn't invite usagi's other friends to come to the performance and says they're busy yeah and so, like, it becomes a whole thing, and it looks like she's kind of setting up Usagi to fail again. But Minako shows up at the very last minute and saves the day. And, like, when M- Mio is confronted about it, she just starts, she does the whole breaking down to tears. She's just like, I just love Usagi so much and want her all to myself. Ta-da! And, like, Usagi being Usagi's like, it's okay, I forgive you, we can still be friends. And Minako is just like, what the fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> this person so, sucks. Yeah, so when Usagi leaves, like, uh, Minako turns to Mio and goes, Usagi is a good person. I'm not. If you do that again, I will find you. Yeah. <laughs> so I just I, I just loved, like, Minako just being like, I'm, like, Usagi's a good person. I'm not. <laughs> It's just like oh, such good threat, uh, yeah, threatening tactics there. But yeah, Mio. Either way, she is just a crazy bitch. Yes. All right. So now we're on Queen Beryl, which so I have to note who played her. Mm-hmm. She is played by '80s J-pop sexy idol Aya Shigemoto. Now Aya Shigemoto was pretty much known for being sexy. Like we were. We'll probably put some pictures in the in the show notes, but she was, you know, unlike 
what a lot of times they do push push with idols, which is like, oh, be cute and all that. No, she was just sexy. Mm-hmm. You know, here I am dressed like a dominatrix or something, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I am I am going to pull the quote about her, her, her divorcing her husband. <laughs> oh, my God. It's so good. It's, Kurt told us this and we were just like, what? <laughs> so in around this time period, too. Prior to this, by the way, she was also like an erotic writer. Oh, perfect. She also wrote a book-length essay called Orgasm Life. So, <laughs> during around this time, she uh, went through a high-powered divorce with her husband of 11 years. And uh, she claimed that it was not enough sex in her marriage. Like, they were just not doing... It wasn't just not working. And uh, it was... Uh, this is how the term sexless divorce became a catchphrase among frustrated wives in Japan. <laughs> And uh, iconic, yeah, truly, yeah. But Sugimoto said, I didn't think it was such a big deal. I actually thought it was a healthier reason for wanting out than a lot of other mud dragging types of divorces. <laughs> like, dick's weak. Sorry, <laughs> I want a divorce. You know what? Fair, yeah. No, she, she's she's definitely a very interesting person. But uh, because of just that whole sexiness vibe and everything, uh, we just kept on making mommy sorry mommy jokes. She was just so hot as Beryl. Yeah. Yeah. Like, her whole dress as Beryl is like giving Elvira push-up bra, slightly revealing skin vibes. Yeah. And just like, just that, like Dom vibes. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, oh no. <laughs> oh, no, she's hot. Oh, no, she's hot. So, uh, and, and, you know, Beryl's always in kind of like a, you know, I wouldn't say like, you know, weird, hot, sexy, but definitely kind of dominatrixy. But boy, she just adds that sexy vibe to it. Like, and oof. she also, like, her voice is also a little husky. So kind of like. Oh, yeah. Like, she has that nice, deep, alto, husky voice for it. So it just, it just adds to it, really. <laughs> just sounds like, you know, uh, velvet. Yeah um and uh but mainly sexiness aside she's trying to unleash metallia which i it's it's always been kind of a thing with barrel is i want to unleash italia and as always she wants endemian for herself so yeah because like the the backstory there is always that like barrel was in love with endemian but i don't think he even really knew who she was <laughs> yeah she's she's like the female brony frenzoni <laughs> yeah uh, They're rare, but they exist. They exist. Um, but yeah, the, basically the main note here of what makes Beryl different in this is just Aya Shikimoto. <laughs> yeah, what she brings much. that role. Whew. All right. Uh, so I guess we'll kind of move on to our honorable mentions here. Yeah. So the first being, we've already bitched about him, but Motoki Furuhata. Which, who is the weird turtle guy who works at uh, the karaoke parlor. And that's that's really it. He's kind of, if you remember, I think, what was it? And, Andrew or Andy from the the dub? Was oh, it, yeah. Um, what was his name? He was actually yeah, um, Matoki. Okay. That was Matoki. It's just they kind of, instead of being like the cool older brother type that worked at the arcade, he's just kind of this dorky, rude turtle guy. And I would have yeah. been okay with that if it wasn't for the romance they slapped at the end. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, it was like he was just kind of a doofus who worked there, who's like 
kind was like supportive like maybe like if one of them kind of had a crush on him but it wasn't really like expounded upon yeah like i would have been fine with that but here it's just kind of weird yeah um as always nara osaka she's usagi's best friend uh kurt wants us to notate that her actress um chika uchi sung the theme for Oren high school house club kiss kiss fall in love yeah she's kiss kiss fall in love yep um, um but I, yeah i mean naru's naru like yeah there's like a brief time period where she's jealous of ami but they work through it and it's it's kind of a fun i think like episode that's always in girl shows it's like i'm jealous because you're taking my best friend but why can't we be friends together oh wait that's a thing yeah and so like they actually work together on like a, a group project at the end of the episode yeah, it's really cute super cute um, you wanted to know uh, Ikuko Tsukino because she, oh. she's very cool mom in this. Yeah, so like uh, Ikuko, like she's always shown up along with like um Usagi's younger brother Shingo, I think is his name. Yeah. Um, he doesn't really do much besides just occasionally make a snarky remark at Usagi in this yeah. series. But Ikuko in this one, I don't know what it is, but she has the same energy as Amy Poehler in Mean Girls. <laughs> yeah, she really does. I'm she's cool like, mom. I'm not a regular mom. I'm a cool, cool mom. mom. <laughs> so she's like, she wears like this, like she wears all of the, like this modern clothes and like tries like all these cooking experiments. There's a whole episode where it seems like she's trying to be a journalist. It's, it's I, Ikuko is just fucking wild yeah but i think my favorite bit with her was like the episode where they don't know like usagi kind of disappears with while she's like serenity has kind of emerged yeah so like ikuka though basically like ami and makoto like draw straws to pretend to be usagi <laughs> but since ikuka's not wearing like they're worried they're gonna get caught but since ikuka's not wearing her fucking like um contact she can't tell the difference she she even can't even tell like luna is a talking cat at one point right she's like who are you talking to i guess uh something <laughs> you know it's great uh and then our last one is going to be hina kusaka who is mamaru's fiance who is very cool and ends up being too cool for him yeah she dumps him because she just realizes like you're not really in love with me are you you're just playing a part yeah, so she's just like, I'm not I'm not going abroad with you. I'm going to go live my own life. You live your own life. You figure it out. Yeah. Uh, which, yeah, glad you dumped him. Uh, she even gets her own little postscript. Like, basically, when they released the DVDs, um, mm -hmm. they had, like, a big, a special episode with Minako as kind of like a Sailor V prologue to the series. And then there was these two mini specials, like one was about um, how Mamaru got his tuxedo powers, and the other is just kind of a follow-up on Hina, who becomes an actress in a series called Tuxedo Night. Oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, and she's kind of like, it's, it's implied that she has a crush on the main actor, uh, mm -hmm. but she's basically, she's just like, I'm moving on with my life. Yeah, good for her. Yeah, good for her. All right, so let's move on to our odds and ends, which I guess we have to start with. <laughs> oh my god, this 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 scene broke me when we watched it. <laughs> broke all of us, and um, we'll get more into the plushies than we did earlier too. 
But there's this scene where Luna enters, and this is like the Sailor V prologue episode. But it ends with Luna yeeting herself from the moon and burning up an orbit. Yeah. So, because basically Artemis is like, because they realize that Artemis realizes at the end of the the Sailor V episode is like, oh my god, I found Sailor Moon. So he like calls out to Luna on the moon. It's just like I found her. <laughs> so Luna just yeets herself. <laughs> And then, like, when they just they cut back to her, like, going through space, and she's literally burning up on re-entry. <laughs> and to the point that, like, Usagi looks up from her window and is like, oh, a shooting star! Yeah. Yeah, it's like, oh, the shooting star, it's so pretty. And it's like, no, that's Luna burning up in orbit. Yeah. And, and it's like, the, the, the effects for it are hilarious. Which, yes, the plushies. Oh, my God. They would... This was such a bad idea, because I think if they just <laughs> stuck with CGI or something, it, it would have looked bad, but it wouldn't look fucking childish. So you'd have very serious scenes, including Makoto, like the announcement of Makoto's death, where they would cut to the reaction of these plushies, and you could help but fucking laugh. <laughs> No, I mean, like, my favorite part was when they would just do these, like, really quick shots where, like, they would change the plushie's eyes. Yeah, like, they would have a reaction or, like, a crystal tear. <laughs> oh, my God. It's just, like, okay, like, the plushies look fucking stupid, but they are my favorite part of this fucking show. <laughs> yeah, they really are. Oh, my God. I kind of want to make I, one. I, yeah, because I think it's just because it's just so silly. Like... Especially when they try to make the series more dramatic and you'll just cut to these plushies reacting to these very serious moments. And you're just like, this is fucking stupid. <laughs> oh, man. I just, oh. Like, it's just one of those things that, like, this is so dumb that you kind of just wrap back around as, like, this is the most brilliant thing about this show. Yeah, pretty much. And it's just like, I get it's like, it's obviously a very much a tokusatsu, like, saving money method. <laughs> Roger Corman would be proud. Truly. Um, and then we alluded to this earlier, but this is like, this series is the gayest that Minako and Ray have ever been. Like, holy fucking shit. So first off, their first real introduction to each other is this whole thing where they're both at a church and they find a dog. Yeah. And I think Ray has an idea who Minako is or something at this point. Right. So it's like they're having these exchanges with each other and it's like, this feels tension building. Yeah. And then Ray just kind of is always in Minako's business of like, you need to join us. Okay. Like, you can't just leave us out of your life. To the point Ray even becomes a pop star. Yeah, so, like, I don't know how that even works, but, like, basically, like, Minako just sort of drags, like, Ray into being a pop, a pop star, like, by the name of Mars Reiko. Yeah. And, like, so they have, like, this weird, like, kind of rivalry, kind of friendship for, like, the rest of the series. Yeah, and it's just... It's mostly Ray being like, you gotta join us. I mean, Akoko being like, no, I'm dying and shit. And Ray's like, that's yeah. stupid. You should take the, you know, it's like, and it's just the way they would interact 
Like, it's like, this doesn't sound very good. It's like, no, you gotta watch it. It's just... No, but truly, the gayest part of it is that, like, so, Ray is the first person to find out that Minako dies. Yes. Like, because this is, like, this is also part of the plushies and very serious moments, is that Artemis comes to the temple and tells Mina tells Ray that Minako has passed is away. Yes. And he's just he's struggling with the words. He's like, Minako, she's she's gone and like cuts to him with a crystal tear running down his <laughs> face. And it's like, oh my god, this is a very serious moment. And here's this plushie. Yeah. Um but Minako, like nah, Minako. Ray's the first person to find out, and she meets the other senshi while they're in the middle of a battle, and she is like visibly upset like she's like she's crying upset. she's crying she's angry and she basically burns through all these monsters with her powers shouting and minako's name yeah like at the yeah because at the end she just like breaks down crying and just screaming minako's name she's like minako minako it's like uh okay okay um they even made out a church and i want to think about it. it's like yeah they meet at church that's also kind of a little you know I think it's the same church in Kuga that, uh, I mean, that, like, Godai and Ichijo share that moment on the roof with, which is even funnier. Uh, <laughs> I think you made that joke while we were watching, is that they're on the roof while this is happening. Yeah. It's like, this is the gay church. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's probably also just the location they can have. So, uh, yeah, it's just, like, there's just always this tension between them, and there's always this push to, you need to be a part of us, you need to be there, and Ray just kind of, more or less, like, be a part of us, you know, we love you, I love you, yeah. and you, you almost want to, you expect her to say, I love you in these arguments, you know? Right, yeah. Um, And then, like, at the very end, there's a whole thing where, like, I guess Ray kind of gets Minako's powers, and so, like, in the very last episode, they introduced the Senshi having these, like, badass weapons. <laughs> yeah. And, like, she uses, like, Minako's powers um, of their little dance tambourines <laughs> to, like, get these, like, cool, like, like, double sword. Like, she's basically dual wielding. I don't know if they're supposed to be, like, knives or swords or whatever. Uh, but she's, like, dual wielding and then like in the special follow-up episode ray is in the hospital so minako is the one who has to go out and fight with the other senshi and like she ha she now has both of the weapons so they share literally share weapons yeah wow skin gay 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 homosexual gay uh um so considering the fact that the series took place in 2003 um and 2004 uh there is just some primo early 2000s fashion happening yeah, in this series. It's like, like, damn. Takes me back. Like, yeah, it's like the hats, the fucking culottes, <laughs> the, the cargo culottes. Because it's always like, there's these, the cargo pants that like stopped at the ankles. <laughs> yes. Um, The various print shirts, the hair, the hats. <laughs> the layers. The layers, like... Even we made the joke earlier about when, like, when Ami goes bad, she's, like, dressed like a fucking early 2000s emo kid. Yeah. It's just like, damn, this is definitely 2000s. Oh, yeah. It's like, uh, it's like memory lane of it. Like, when people, like, talk about, oh, the Y2K aesthetic is coming back. I'm like, 
You mean what's happening here? Like yeah. that's the real Y two K aesthetic. Yeah, that's that's the real one. Oh man, I mean, and also fun thing to laugh about with this series are the wigs. The wigs. Oh my god. So I I have a cosplay friend. She's uh she's a wig commissioner and everything, and I I always would send her bad toku wigs, but I I had to send her some of the really bad wigs in this one, and she was like, oh lord. She also pointed out they were better than the Seiya Mayu, uh, early, the early Seiya Mayu wigs. Oh, yeah. Okay, if you see some of the, if you're not aware, some of the earliest attempts at making, like, a live-action Sailor Moon were actually for stage musicals. <laughs> Those wigs were, yikes. Like, at least, yeah. at least Usagi had, like, uh, a more natural-looking blonde. <laughs> yeah, like, I get it, but, like, yeah, her her sh- hair in the anime is, like, yellow but like you don't have to make her or like wigs bright ass yellow that's <laughs> what they had uh yep. it just it, it just looks bright ass yellow like you never you you die you bleached your hair but didn't tone it right cody um, rhodes <laughs> uh oh. but some of my favorites were like the generals because i feel like they the only time you could see barrels being wig was bad was when they put it in daylight yeah so because barrel is in darkness for most of the series so like she only shows up in daylight scenes like twice yeah and it's only then where you can see that the wigs like the wig is kind of like oh pu- pulling away from her temples yeah i didn't yeah. fix it right yeah <laughs> Oh, they didn't bother with wig caps at all. If you looked at Zoe, Zoe's site was my favorite because one, they didn't bother with a wig cap on him, so you could see his natural hairline a lot. Yeah. The other is you could tell they just didn't even style or tease it. They just took it out of the bag and put a ponytail on it. Like here, wear it. Gave it a little shake, put it in a ponytail, and said, "Go for it." Go for it. I'm not even sure if they shook it either. <laughs> Uh, and then like we thought oh well Kunzite's wig's not too bad and then you see it in daylight and you're like oh no ugh. that's a terrible wig they just they just took that from a sa- period piece samurai production they're just like we're not even bothering gonna clean it just wear it yeah <laughs> cause like you see it cause it's like if you've ever seen a very terrible looking black wig and how like easily like it just like the sheen on it just looks so bad and it looks clumped yeah I say this as somebody who has several black wigs that have gotten very bad over the years. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, because also the way we could tell is like when Kunzai was like, okay, well, he's in darkness. It looks fine. And then you see light on it and you're like, oh, no. Oh, no. And like the wig was also pulling apart from his temples at a couple of points. And it's front lace, too. Oh, no. It was so, so bad. Yeah. Although, and then. I liked that in this, they actually played with the fact that, you know, this is always a thing. It's like, why doesn't anyone ever notice that the girls are the girls in, when they transform? And it's like, it's because they're supposed to, like, transform and look different. Right. And in this, they actually do make them look different. Like, you know, um, and they notate this with the wigs, which have more of the hairstyles that are in, like, the manga and the anime. You know, mm-hmm. like, Ami obviously does not have blue hair in real life. But when she transforms, oh, look, she has blue hair. And so those were okay. Um, yeah, Ami's had I think the best one, but like you said, like the sheen on the black wig for Ray. Um, a couple of them were pretty clockable. I don't think they yeah, even glued like, them down for some. Minako's wig was especially bad. Yeah, 
I mean, I, um, I'm glad that they had other shades of blonde, but yeah, those that one was pre- particularly bad. Makoto's wig wasn't too terrible. Yeah, they at least styled it. They at least styled it. Like her and her and Ami's wigs were styled. Like I noticed. Like I even noticed. Like they actually like took time to highlight Ami's wig. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, it actually looks kind of like highlighted and and had depth. But yeah, it was just oh my god, those wigs were early wig technology, and also we don't give a shit either. Yeah, they had so they only had so much budget for wigs, and they were just like, well, okay. <laughs> yep. Um, uh, I think we, uh, a couple of the changes. Uh, one of the big, one of the smaller ones was the meetup changed from the arcade to the karaoke bar. Yeah, I think that might have just. That was, like, such an interesting reflection of, like, going from the 90s to the 2000s. Yeah. So, I mean, arcades are still a thing in Japan, like, more than they are over here, but... (laughs) Also, with karaoke, you can have a private room. Yeah. So, it's, like, meeting up in an arcade and after hours, well, that's kind of sketchy. Meeting up, like, on hours at a karaoke place and you have, like, a pass to, like, go to this particular room at any point oh okay that makes sense yeah and i will say their little private karaoke room like that they would meet up in was pretty cute it was super cute uh one of the other weirder things we got to talk about is that the fight choreography was atrocious oh. oh my god like i can forgive a lot of things but the fight karaoke in a series that choreography is used to karaoke <laughs> Fight karaoke, fight choreography, whatever. <laughs> it's nearly the same thing. <laughs> Your fight karaoke sounds like uh, what they do for stage fighting at a Broadway show. Yeah, that would, hey. no, that would be fun. <laughs> <laughs> Real life fighting is awkward. Yeah. Anyway, um, so anyway, yeah, for the earliest part of the series, I want to say until they probably get to about the halfway point. A lot of the fight care uh, or fight <laughs> fight choreography. <laughs> a lot of the fight choreography is just the girls spinning in circles. Lots of pirouettes. Yeah, it's like, oh my god, there they go. They're just spinning again. <laughs> They're just doing ballet pirouettes. Okay. Eventually, they actually did start incorporating actual fighting, but it is so. Bad, like they cut away too quickly. Uh, mm-hmm. Star Trek TOS had better choreographed fights than this, and Star Trek TOS had some stinkers. Let's talk about the Gorn fight. <laughs> <laughs> like at least you focused on the action, because that's that's a thing with fighting is you want to see the action completely through. Mm-hmm. I guess because they just didn't have enough stunt people or something, they would just cut away too quickly. Yeah, and then like they would have like. Yeah, about halfway through the series, they start introducing, like, cartwheels and flips. And flips. And I was just like, when the first time, like, a character did a flip, I was like, oh my god, they did it. They did it. They did something other than a fucking pirouette. Oh, god. It was just, it was dire. It was very dire. I feel like, like, they're like, no, um, everyone that we normally get, they're working on Sentai and Ryder right now. So mm-hmm. uh, we're just gonna just deal with this. Uh, and it was, and also, girls like, like, like dance moves, right? They wouldn't like actual, like, punch violence. And I'm like, girls would actually probably like a really well choreographed dance scene. Uh, a dance fight yeah. scene. Like, 
that's the thing I could say about Power Rangers with Hip Hop Keto is like mm-hmm. at least Hip Hop Keto has a fight flow to it. It's something you can put a you could feasibly see in a fight. A pirouette, like what? Yeah, I mean that's also the thing is that like Sailor Moon has always had big action scenes. Oh yeah, like it was like part of the like the crossover appeal was that like. The fight scenes were very shonen esque. Yeah, like it. It felt like something from a from that that jump would put on that was a fighting type thing, you know. Yeah. Um, so like, so yeah, the fact that like they just kind of like skimped on the like fight choreography because it's like, especially if you compare it to mentioning again, Cutie Honey two thousand four, which came out while this air- show was airing, and then Cutie Honey the Live in two thousand seven, which had baller ass fight choreography. Oh yeah. They still shit from wrestling. That's how ballast yeah. it was. Yeah. So just the fact that like, like it is possible to do this in a like something that like appeal that has like an aesthetic that appeals to girls. They just didn't do it. Yeah. It was actually so funny because I've been watching Ryuki, but I've also been watching Picard, and the first episode of Picard has this giant fight scene, and I'm watching it, and I'm like, oh my god, I forgot what good fight, just decent fight choreography looked like. Right. Because I've been watching this for over a month. So I'm like, oh my god. That's what decent stuff looks. Or Ryuki is like, they actually follow the action and everything. But yeah, this one. um, What's the name of the guy that does all the quick edits in WWE? Kevin Kevin Dunn. Kevin Dunn. Yeah, fight (laughs) choreography by Kevin Dunn. Yeah, twirling. 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 twirling Cuts, cuts, cuts. Twirling. (laughs) Oh, these rapid cuts. Oh, and then like. (laughs) <laughs> the last bit we wanted to touch on was that we couldn't figure out why this would happen but occasionally there'd just be this weird helicopter noise yeah. we're just like that would just pop up while the characters are talking or fighting or something it was always during their transformation scenes and stuff and it's just like what's going on because at first you're like is there a helicopter at your house and we're like no is there one of yours no and we're like did the scene have one well maybe it did but then it kept showing up yeah, so we don't know why the fuck there's this helicopter just in the background of mm-hmm. several of these scenes. <laughs> yeah. That was uh that was either a weird choice or like fuck it got it got like there was an actual helicopter that would show up in those scenes like we're not editing that out. Fuck it. Yeah. I mean, either is possible. <laughs> and one thing that we forgot to put in the notes here but I really want to mention is that so the one of the first episodes where Minako actually joins the group to fight as Sailor Venus. Yeah. So they're fighting in a church rec center or something like that? Oh, yeah, the fucking church rec center with the weird cross. Okay, so basically there's this pro- this light projection of a cross on the wall, because, again, they're at a fucking church. And, like, occasionally it would just start spinning. <laughs> Raver church. Yeah, I was just like, this feels like a... This- this feels like a fucking thing from like the righteous gemstones, <laughs> <laughs> or like a, a a weird like dark synth or whatever eighties pop song's gonna come on, like Depeche oh, yeah. Mode or Pet Shop Boys, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, there's 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 so much going on in this series. It yeah. is it's, it's an experience. <laughs> oh my goodness. Ah, uh, so now we're on to our final verdict. Um. Uh. Yeah, this show was weird. <laughs> yeah. Just fully. 
Uh, I remember someone on a Discord I'm on describing this show as having good writing despite itself. And I actually have to agree with that assessment. Like, the writing and acting, you know, as much as we complain about some of the changes, the writing and acting really was kind of the, the strong suit. But everything else was just not. Like, the special effects and fighting were almost too hokey to take the dramatic plot seriously. It, it just took you out of it. Like, I understand, yes, this is for children, but I'm like, this would probably take a child out of it too, man. Mm-hmm. Like, a child's gonna giggle at a plushie crying with a crystal tear, you know? They're a child. Yeah. Um also, we sort of got into it. Not enough changes to make it feel like a significantly different story. And also the stuff they did change feel like they shouldn't have had. Like uh, Makoto changing overall as a character. Overall, it's a very weird audience. And I can say I was definitely not the intended audience for this. Yeah, this is an interesting nugget within the Sailor Moon franchise in terms of medium and presentation. But it definitely doesn't do too much different from the story to really stand out it doesn't have the weird frantic energy of uh either the ano cutie honey movie or the cutie honey the live either though it does have some weird moments that are really only possible with tokusatsu i didn't hate it i actually enjoyed the experience of watching it and like i said with sid that the acting and writing seemed strong as well but it's still just kind of weird to take in all right that's uh that's it for this episode uh, we'd like to thank Kate Nix for our cool theme song. Currently, her site, katenix.com, is under construction. However, her link tree under I am Kate Nix links you to her band camp and streaming site, katenix.tv. She does a bi-monthly show, The Lounge, Tuesdays at 7 p.m. If you're wondering if it's an on or off, mo- on or off month, you can check her show's Instagram, It's The Lounge. You can watch older episodes on her YouTube channel, Kate Nix. She also has personal accounts using Zinek. Uh, which is her name backwards, on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok if you want Flair and Winslow, the big piano-playing cat. I'd also like to thank Joe Hunter for the art. Joe is a comic book artist who has done backups for Radiant Black, a story in Headlock Comics, Tales from the Road series, and is currently working on Beast Heart Strikers with co-creator and writer Lan Pitts. You can support him on Patreon at Joe underscore Hunter and at Threadless at JoeHunter.Threadless.com. You can find him on Twitter as Joe underscore Hunter and Instagram as Joe Bloody Hunter. And we would also like to thank, of course, Kurt Yoder for the editing. You can find him on Etsy at GreatSGCreations and GreatSGPixels on Twitter if you want cool perler art. And lastly, we want to thank our $5 patrons. Once again, Griffman, thank you so much for your support. And our wrestler of the podcast is Mercedes Monet. Happy you're back, you beautiful fucking weeb. You can find her on Instagram at the Mercedes Bernardo, and she is currently doing shows in Japan. Also, she's on some Disney Plus show called The Mandalorian. Seems obscure, but go check it out, though. And finally, where can we find you, Ashley? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram under at Miss Kitty F. Also, both of those have uh, link trees to my shops where you can uh, purchase masks, blankets, books, zines for me. So you can just check it out there. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty much all I got going on. <laughs> you can also find me Twitter, Instagram, and now Tumblr. I'm often on there at Velociriker. Uh, you can also find uh, there a bio link that leads to my store, Coda's Magical Crafts, where I have uh, candles and soaps, lip balms, possibly zines coming up soon. 
You can also check out our podcast. Uh, we mainly use Twitter at Rangersplain. Trying to use Instagram a little bit more at Rangersplain as well. Uh, we have a Patreon, Rangersplain, where $2 a month gives you early access to the episodes and $5 a month gives you um, access to, obviously, a thank you, but also access to our monthly uh, stream. And finally, our WordPress, rangersplain.wordpress.com, where you can find all our show notes and everything else. And, you know, if, if you, whatever podcasts are found, please rate us and give us all, all the love to, to beat the dreaded algorithm. And uh, that's it for this month. Next month's full episode, we're back into the world of Power Rangers. We're tackling the pre-Shattered Grid arc of the comics. But we're also not done um, on Sailor Moon this month. We have a mini Valentine's Day episode plan of the no longer lost media that is the American Sailor Moon pilot. Stay safe and may the power protect you. Go. Go. Go.